Dr. David Blumke, editor of the journal Radiology, and I'm here today with Alexander Kosmala from University Hotsburg in Würzburg, Germany. Did I pronounce that right? Würzburg? Yes, Würzburg. Würzburg. Okay, great. And we're going to be discussing his paper that's going to be appearing in the January issue of Radiology, Multiple Myeloma and Dual Energy CT, Diagnostic Accuracy of Virtual Non-Calcium Technique for Detection of Bone Marrow Infiltration of the Spine and Pelvis. So this was a very interesting paper, and uh, we're going to go through a couple steps and have you explain it to us today. So, yes. uh, first, before as we start here, could you first tell us uh, what was the motivation to do this paper? Why did you choose this topic, and how did you come to eventually study multiple myeloma? Um, so we had our first experiences with bone marrow imaging and dual energy CT with uh, traumatic bone marrow changes. And uh, then we also uh, saw that every patient with a multiple myeloma or with suspected multiple myeloma sooner or later will need to have an assessment of uh, the bone status. And this is routinely done by whole body computed tomography. So uh, this computed tomography is in the exoskeleton only able to detect osteolytic uh, uh, changes. So let me ask you a question. Yes. Uh, you started applying this technique to traumatic bone lesions. Yes. And uh, that would seem to be a harder problem than tumor, perhaps. How do you compare the challenge of using dual energy CT for trauma with edema detection versus what you were trying to achieve with tumor detection? Yes. So in theory, uh, tumor detection should be even easier than uh, the detection of traumatic bone marrow edema. Why do you say that? because uh, edema should have uh, attenuation uh, of around zero Huntsville units. Okay, around water, is it? Around okay. water, You're yes. trying to find that, okay. So whereas uh, malignant infiltration of the bone marrow has potentially much higher uh, attenuation numbers. Okay, so you have water. a cellular infiltrate in the marrow right. that you're trying to detect with uh, metastatic disease. And you mentioned also the use of CT, some sites are using MRI uh, for evaluation of bone marrow, especially in multiple myeloma, but also CTs becoming first in your institution because CT. you're doing body evaluation? Or? Yes, CT. I think in most institutions, CT comes first. It's uh, more available, it's, okay. uh, um, it's faster, and it doesn't take uh, so much time, and there are not so many contraindications compared to whole body uh, MRI. Okay. MRI certainly has a place for specific patients' groups. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, patients with an asymptomatic myeloma, it has been shown that um, the detection of uh, bone marrow infiltration, uh, the number and the size of bone marrow lesions uh, have okay. certain prognostic and therapeutic consequences. So MRI certainly has a place and a role, but uh, most commonly, I think, uh, okay. whole body computed tomography is used. So the idea from the start was if you can do the body screening with CT and improve the quality of the CT, in some cases the MRI may not be necessary. Is that the idea? That was the, the basic idea. Okay. Um, we thought to, to add the pros of MRI to be able to detect even non-osteolytic lesions okay. uh, to the standard CT, which up till now in the axial skeleton can detect only osteolytic lesions. Okay, that's a good point because CT, we're looking for lytic lesions in yes. the spine and the bone marrow, there's no trabeculation, but in other areas of the spine, the trabeculation is preserved yes. and there's marrow infiltration. MRI 
currently does a better job at that, and we're assessing the new technology. So, okay. Right. right. All right, good. Well, um, so if you were to summarize the primary purpose of the study then w was to uh, evaluate dual energy CT for this purpose? Yes, the diagnostic performance of dual energy CT okay. for the detection of bone marrow infiltration. Okay, good. So tell us how you designed the study and what methods you took to assess that purpose. So um, we consecutively uh, evaluated the patients that were referred to us for a standard uh, routine staging okay. uh, for computed tomography. We used our dual energy uh, exam for them and then we uh, tried to acquire them for the MRI scan. Okay. We took great care that, uh, the, that there is no time between MRI and CT scan so that no antimyeloma treatment is, is delivered in between. Okay. And you chose patients with multiple myeloma just to be specific about the diagnosis, or you had a lot of those patients come into CT anyway? Is that the, the reason? So they, they got referred to us uh, from the internal medicine department with okay. the diagnosis or with the suspected diagnosis of, of multiple myeloma. There okay. were 28 follow-ups, I think, and six uh, primary diagnoses. Okay. So the idea is to look at the essentially the performance or accuracy of dual energy CT and your standard of reference was an MRI? That was MRI, right. Okay, so everybody had both exams. Yes. How, what was the time difference between the two exams? Was it pretty close? In most patients we tried to do, to do it on the same day. Oh, okay. So in, in, in most patients we managed to do this but some patients um, they were not in patients but they, they came back and in some cases uh, I think the, the uh, delta, the biggest delta was around 60 days. Okay. So in order to use dual energy CT to detect bone marrow infiltration by myeloma, what sort of techniques did you use with dual energy CT? How did you do it? So, well, in order to, to uh, the contrast of, of um, computed tomography images result from differences in photon attenu attenuation, okay. uh, mainly based on the photoelectric effect. So uh, I think the, the, the attenuation of a given tissue depends on the one hand on the material of which it consists and on the other hand of the photon energies uh, you use to examine it with. Okay. So if you have a uh, given uh, photon energy, uh, for example, created by a, a tube of 120 kV, mm -hmm. and use uh, and you examine different materials, then you get different attenuation values. But if you have a constant specific material and use different photon energies, then you also receive a set of uh, different attenuation values. And this okay. is characteristic for uh, different materials. Okay. So, what energies did you use for the dual energy CT scanner? What what energy levels did you use? We chose the uh, 90 kV for the uh, low kV tube and 150 kV with a tin filter for the high kV tube. Okay, a tin filter. And what's the purpose of that tin filter? The tin filter uh, hardens the, the high kV spectrum. Okay. Uh, so it filters the, the low energy parts of the spectrum okay. and thus uh, creates a better uh, spectral separation between the okay. low kV tube and the high kV tube. So you have a, a, a more pure high energy right. versus right. the low energy because right. there's a still overlap between yes. those. Okay. But it minimizes the overlap. Okay. So you have uh, two energies and those photons are going to go through different materials. They're going to go uh, through fat 
in normal marrow, primarily fat. And then if you have tumor, you're looking for multiple myeloma, uh, those photons are going to be uh, going through tumor. And so what are you expecting if, uh, if there's two energies and, and perhaps you're going, take the high energy versus the low energy, the photons are going through tumor tissue, you're going to have different Hounsfield units measurements, right? Right. Okay. And how different, you're, you're, how different are those energies at, the, let's say, the 90 and the 150? Are the Hounsfield units uh, similar, or do they start to get quite different for those? Um, so what we didn't measure in the, in the, uh, in the 90 kV and in the 150 kV um, data sets, but we, uh, what we received were um, Hounsfield measurements. Yes. Uh, that were already from the virtual non-calcium uh, data set. Okay, so the Hounsfield units, uh, let's say one type of tissue, if it were all fat, uh, the 90 kV is a little higher Hounsfield units mm -hmm. than the 150 uh, kV. But I, I believe that at the 150 uh, high energy, there's a larger difference for uh, uh, the uh, tumor tissue, right? Yes, the myeloma. Yes, yes. Okay, so there's a broader differentiation between the 90 kV, which it represents its signature, and the dual energy skin. Mm -hmm. Okay, so also the a unique aspect of this paper and a new innovation is three material separation, right? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because you had to separate calcium, uh, fat, in, which is benign tissue, and then tumor tissue, which is yes. higher density. Yes, right. So um, there is this three-material decomposition algorithm. It has been used before. Mm -hmm. um, and it differentiates, as you said, uh, calcium, uh, fat, and uh, red marrow, or soft tissue, or tumorous tissue, okay. uh, which are assigned specific uh, um, attenuation numbers. And then uh, those materials can be quantified and consequently uh, virtually removed. Okay, so as you're going into it, you realize then already, I suppose, the fat uh, Hounsfield units probably relatively specific for fat. Yes. Okay, but what about the tumor? Uh, the tumor, we know soft tissues are soft tissues. Uh, some overlap with other tissues, perhaps you have to understand going in. Uh, maybe other types of red marrow might overlap. Yes, this was the the tumor Hounsfield units were uh, non-specific, so it, wasn't, okay. it was not uh, obviously uh, okay. tumor, but um, it was elevated when you compare it to the normal background of, of healthy fatty uh, bone marrow right. that you would expect in those yeah. populations. So we have this understanding that uh, fat, uh, you're going to get a signal that's pretty characteristic, mm -hmm. uh, and then you're going to get another sig signal and you still have to make an interpretation yes. of whether that signal you're getting is actually tumor or maybe there's uh, different patterns that might be, you want to make sure it's not hematopoietic marrow right. or edema perhaps, something like right. that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, uh, okay good. So uh, those are the methods. Uh, tell us about the main results of the study. How well did it work? It worked actually quite well. We did a two-step analysis. The, the first part of the analysis was the visual analysis. So we just looked at the patient-based results, uh, whether we could classify a patient as having uh, bone marrow infiltration or not. Okay. Um, 
and compared to standard CT, in five cases we were able to detect boromeral infiltration that was not visible on standard CT. So okay. I think this was one of the most important Okay, results. so it just helped you with the basic CT and that, that alone might be a win, I think, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so you did visual analysis, you found uh, some patients, you mentioned five patients that work better than conventional CT. Uh, and that was five out of about how many patients? Five out of, uh, I think, uh, 23 patients that had yeah. uh, infiltration. Okay, so that's a good percentage. That may be helpful in those patients. Uh, so uh, in addition to looking at a per-patient analysis, you also measured a lot of regions of interest. Yes, yes. And what was the purpose of that? Uh, we wanted to show that uh, not only in visual analysis and on a per patient base, but also on a Palesian base. Okay. And with a quantitative approach, it's, it's possible to differentiate uh, healthy marrow from infiltrated okay. uh, marrow. So we measured, uh, guided by MRI, we measured uh, the attenuation numbers of lesions okay. and of control regions. Okay, so MRI is your reference, and you say this area is really normal by MRI. Yes. What are the household unit measurements or what are the uh, signals that we're getting and how do they compare. That also gives you a lot more data potentially, uh, some overlap, but uh, you get a lot more data points, so you get a little bit better statistics that way, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. So then you have, was it almost hundreds of data points with regions of interest? We had 245 normal. regions okay. of interest. Lots of areas, normal versus abnormal. And the, how did the quantitative results turn out compared to the visual results? What were the quantitative results? The, the, the numbers were actually quite similar. Okay. So uh, the, when it comes to diagnostic uh, performance, we had sensitivities and specificities a little bit above 90%. So it was comparable. Okay. So that sensitivity and specificities, I noticed they were pretty consistent. Sometimes some of our tests are very highly sensitive but have a low specificity or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. It's kind of helpful that uh, we're not overcalling or undercalling in, in that sense. Uh, so that was pretty encouraging and, and almost uh, kind of reassuring that the quantitative numbers corresponded to the visual assessment of the per patient analysis, yes. right? So yes. that, was, that was really quite nice. Okay. Um, and uh, any other results that came to mind? Uh, how did the images look? Uh, how did you like the image quality as a radiologist? Um, the images, um, so you, you don't only get the the one the 90 kV uh, image and the 150 kV image, but a uh, third data set of uh, 120 kV like images is created, okay. and uh, those look, from my, in my opinion, comparable to what you used to. Okay. Uh, so, and to detect the tumor, uh, the myeloma, let's mm -hmm. say in the uh, infiltrated marrow, you were using a virtual non-calcium. Right. image. Right. I think we're mostly familiar with virtual non-contrast iodine image. So how does that differ, the virtual non-calcium? How do you do that or what is that image? So it basically all comes back to the three material decomposition algorithm um, that is used to quantify, uh, in our case, calcium. Uh, and if you can quantify it, then you can also virtually subtract it from the, from the image information. Okay. So if I understand correctly, you you create the calcium map and you subtract it out of the right. other material, leaving, let's say, the fat and the water image primarily. With fat calcium. and the soft tissue the soft or red tissue marrow image. image yes. Okay, and the, that was a color overlay. Mm -hmm. Then, where you are looking at that, and I looked at some of the images. The uh, viewers can look at the images in the manuscript, 
and uh, you color-coded the images. It seemed like there's a lot of variation in the color maps. Uh, where, uh, what's your assessment as a radiologist? Because uh, it seemed like the variation would be hard to interpret. You have to look at a lot of those? Yes. I think, in, in my opinion, it's not... In some cases, it is self-explanatory, but sometimes you really have to, to look at the dual energy overlay at the CT image and uh, really think whether it is an artifact or whether this can be real. Okay. So there's still some interpretation involved, yes. but it's uh, potentially an interpretative tool to help you with that diagnosis of marrow abnormality. Exactly. So, okay. Got it. Okay. So you've done the study. You have sensitivity and specificity in a smaller study right now, preliminary study of uh, a little over 30 patients. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say are the potential limitations that with the technique? Where, where uh, you had a couple of false positives and a false negative. Uh, what happens in those cases? Or? Yes, I think the false negatives, are, um, those were patients that had very uh, small lesions on the MRI imaging, okay. around uh, six or seven millimeters, okay. solitary lesions. And the first problem is to actually see them on the uh, dual energy CT images. And the second step is to, if you see them, then you really have to think whether this is real, whether this can be a solitary tiny uh, lesion or uh, whether this is just an artifact. And I think okay. at this first stage, we were not confident enough to call it uh, a solit solitary five millimeter lesion and just uh, didn't really count this patient as infiltrated. Okay. So Got this it. is how I would explain the, the, the false uh, uh, negatives. The false okay. positives, on the other hand, um, I think they are mainly caused be uh, because the um, Elevation in attenuation numbers is not specific to multiple myeloma. It can happen to, due to uh, degenerative cases, uh, okay. causes or hemangiomas or small noduli. Okay. So uh, it's not specific. And um, I think this is how you can explain the, the false uh, positives. Some okay. patients showed artifacts. Um, and one patient even uh, the artifacts looked like a focal uh, infiltration, so both okay. me and the other reader, uh, we both classified the same patient as uh, positively infiltrated, okay. and he was not. Okay. So uh, one or two other questions then, just on your results and how this may work. You looked at the spine and the pelvis. Mm -hmm. uh, where, does the technique work better in one area or another? Is it quite similar in either area? Any difference it's, there? Yes. Um, it's important that there is uh, lots of uh, a background of, of healthy fatty marrow. And okay. uh, uh, when you go from cranial to caudal uh, in the body, um, you get more uh, fatty bone marrow. So it's, it's physiological that in the lumbar spine there is more fatty marrow than in the uh, thoracic spine. Okay. And in the pelvis there is even more. So it works best if there is lots of uh, fatty, fatty background. Yes. Okay. Got it. So. If a patient's anemic, perhaps, and they have a lot of hematopoietic marrow, may yes, be a challenge to yes, do that. Yes, yes. Got it. Uh, good. Now, the other thing that comes to mind, MRI for diagnosis of myeloma is pretty straightforward. There's a lot of contrast to noise ratio. The abnormal lesions are really bright mm -hmm. um, and inversion recovery sequence. Uh, so that's clear, and that probably works pretty well on CT as well, just uh, reading your technology and look at the images. 
But sometimes myeloma has a more difficult pattern, maybe a salt and pepper pattern. Yes. How did you deal with that? This was uh, is one important uh, limitation of our paper, that we had only patients that were normal and patients with focal lesions. Okay. And uh, we completely missed patients with uh, diffuse infiltration, okay. for example. So this is really an important pattern that uh, has to also be to, to be diagnosed. Okay. And would that pattern be amenable to further technological refinement of the technique, or is that going to be a limitation of this method in general? Um, we kept on uh, examining those patients, so now okay. we have patients with uh, okay. diffuse infiltration or with combined diffuse and focal infiltration, and it it's also uh, works. It's possible to detect it. And, okay. um, Good. Yes. So it's a matter of a learning curve and uh, maybe getting the technology improvement as well. Is that right? I think it's a learning curve for the for the examiner. So it's yeah. it really you have to uh, look at some of those pictures. You really have to, uh, in some cases, have the MRI uh, to learn what it looks like. I see. So having the MRI to, to guide you and interpret the images, because the images were the first time, essentially almost the first time done, and so it's hard to know what is normal and abnormal the first right. time you do the study. Got it. Okay. So uh, just to conclude then, uh, what would be the next steps for the technique? Are you continuing to use it, uh, more patients examined, or where, do you, where is it going? Yes, we are continuing to use it. Um, we want to examine different patterns of myelomatous mm -hmm. uh, uh, infiltration. So for MRI, the, 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 the patterns are established, and for CT, it's only pos uh, possible to detect lytic or non-lytic, uh, to detect lytic lesions. Um, so we want to try to establish maybe uh, different CT patterns uh, comparable to MRI patterns as well for dual energy. Okay. Um, and I think an important point to look into is um, how treatment-related changes uh, look in dual energy computed tomography. Okay. So uh, if we get one patient in primary diagnosis and then uh, look at therapeutic monitoring with uh, dual energy, this will be certainly uh, okay. important for the future. Good. And uh, with CT, we also have that concern about uh, radiation exposure, the dual energy technique. Uh, how's the radiation exposure going to compare to a standard CT acquisition? Yes. So there are there are different uh, papers out there actually mm -hmm. uh, some of them uh, tell us that uh, in some cases the radiation exposure is higher some uh, tell us that it's lower uh, for example we did uh, pulmonary uh, embolism uh, with dual energy city and we mm -hmm. were able to lower the uh, radiation exposure okay. um, so this is an important point to look into and uh, we'll certainly do it. But comparing to uh, our previous generation scanners mm -hmm. uh, using dual energy CT, uh, we are still below what we uh, used to have at the, uh, for example, 64 okay. row scanner. Okay, so that's encouraging. So your experience now, the radiation is under control, yes. uh, maybe a little bit lower than earlier generations. Yes. Good, good to know. Okay, so uh, any other final thoughts on the success of dual energy, uh, you did a study on trauma, you yes. did a study on tumors, any other studies with bone marrow and bone with dual energy that you're thinking about? We are continuing to do the multiple myeloma patients okay. to look into the patterns and the, the trauma, uh, the, the uh, therapy-induced changes, so we'll certainly keep looking. Uh, Excellent. Okay. Alexander, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Very nice paper. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>